The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the road ahead for stocks. Is it getting rockier? or rosier with the major averages on pace now for their longest winning streak since March. We debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, John Ajarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. With me right here on set is Jenny Harrington. Let's check the markets. It's 12 noon in the east. See where we are pretty much at the highs, as Carl said, of the day. A positive day today would tie the current S&P 500 winning streak uh, for the longest of the year. You got the Dow good for 257. We're watching yields, too. Now the 10-year is back above 3%, and we're still holding on to stock gains. Uh, that, that's interesting in and of itself. I guess our big question, and I'll go to you first, Weiss, is, is whether the market is finally content on what's coming from the Fed or if it's simply kidding itself. You just had the Atlanta Fed GDP now go down to minus 1.9. That's from a previous of minus 2.1. So they revised that. Big questions about whether we're already in a recession. QT hasn't really gotten going yet. And then they tell me in my ear before I come on the show that you just bought some Qs. I did. I did. So, so I think the market's okay with it today and this week. But my view is still that it's, it's a treacherous market. As you pointed out, and I think the critical point that you made, is that QT really hasn't gotten going yet. And it does take a while for rate increases as well as, as, well as easing to filter through the system. So, no, this is what we're going to see over the next few months. We'll see bounces along the way. We may even see sustained rallies of a couple of weeks. Wouldn't surprise me. But I will tell you that any stock that I sold, despite this week's action, is still lower than where I sold it. So I'm I'm not worried about missing a major move in the upside, although I do expect, given how entrenched I am in being a bear, that I would miss the turn in the market at some point. But I don't see that turn coming for for a number of months. But I did buy Qs. I bought Qs because the market was looking stronger this morning. I thought it had some continued momentum. So, So I got in, didn't get in anywhere near the bottom today, but I did get in before the top. And I'll hold most of them till the end of the day. I'll probably sell about three quarters of them and keep the rest into tomorrow. I don't really think the employment number tomorrow is going to have much of an impact on the market at all. Uh, I, I think that it's right now moving okay. What will have the impact are something else. Another point you made, good point. You're well rested making all these good points in, in one shot. Is that we now see the 10-year above 3%. And yeah. I did, as my final trade yesterday, short it. So I'm happy there, and I think it continues to rise. I know. I mean, you don't throw around compliments lightly, so I, I'm, I'm really flattered um, and honored that you would notice my, my well-restedness and, you know, and, and, and the, the good and, points that I, and you notice I made I, today as well. I stuttered. Show young. I stuttered. Yeah. I know. I hear you. Yeah. Jenny, good so point. talk to me. Um, the minutes were hawkish yesterday, right? No way, no way around that. Uh, market held its own. Right. 
Is that a sign of anything significant that we need to take from here? Or do we need to keep the other things in perspective, too? Could already be in a recession. And the Fed has just really embarking on QT. And there are major implications to go along with the rate hikes that they still suggest are coming. Right. So when you asked, Steve, if the market was content with the Fed, I don't think we're content. I'm 47 years old. I can't eat a pint of ice cream every day without a problem like I used to. I'm not content with that, but I'm at peace with that. And I think that's where we are with the Fed. We're at peace with it. And I think we're kind of at peace with where we are in the market. I don't know if we're in a recession right now or not. I'm not sure it's worth worrying about if we're in a recession, because why do we worry about recession? We worry about recession because we fear the bear market. We fear losing money. Where we are right now is we are in a bear market, right? We've been down 20%, 24%. That's where we are. So I think people are becoming at peace with this idea. People are becoming at peace with the fact that we're now trading at 15.9 times earnings. That's a reasonable valuation. I also think Steve made an interesting point when he said, um, that he didn't want to miss the big rebound. We've become conditioned to V-shaped recoveries where the market bottoms and rebounds. I don't think that's happening this time. I think we're going to bounce along a bottom. Maybe we rebuild, but this isn't going to be like past bear markets. It's not going to be like past recoveries. And so I think this is all just what we're digesting and getting used to, which is something that doesn't, I think, elicit as much excitement or enthusiasm as past recoveries have. We're just kind of getting content. Sorry, not content. We're getting at peace with where we are. Um, it's not. It's not a wonderful. It's not a wonderful world. I We're guess, not going to be up thirty percent from here. Well, I guess what it's all going to come down to, Josh, is what earnings are going to end up being. The market's not that different from where it was b- before I left. The Twitter deal still hasn't happened, so a lot hasn't changed. The market hasn't really found a, a lot of direction, but earnings, for some reason. And estimates remain stubbornly high. And I point that out today as I look at a call today that John Stoltzfus at Oppenheimer makes as he lowers his S&P target to 4,800 from 5,330, right? So joining the rest of the crowd, he's still bullish, uh, just a little bit less so. To me, the most controversial part of this whole deal today from him is that he says his price target is based on an earnings projection of $230 per share. $230 a share and a 20.9 times multiple on the market. I thought maybe estimates would start to come down while I was gone. Apparently they have not. And the question is, well, when will they? And what are we going to be able to tell about the market that we didn't know before? That's going to give us some clarity. But when it's going to happen? Scott, since you've been gone, food has lost its taste. I haven't slept Really, life has lost all meaning. And you're right. Uh, You would have expected. Look, earnings season is next week. Does everybody understand that? Like, my first company Mm -hmm. reporting is Thursday, a week from today, J.P. Morgan. Two weeks later, it's Apple, Google, Amazon, that whole crazy week. This is like, this is not like uh, forward looking. This is now. And it's really important that earnings hold up. If anything, like a forty-eight hundred dollar, uh, a forty-eight hundred target on the S and P is going to have any rhyme or reason, um, we have not seen that happen yet. We have not seen many companies materially lower uh, expectations. There have been some notable companies that have lowered expectations, like Netflix, but we just haven't seen it across all sectors, and we really haven't seen it in the uh, the S and P one hundred stocks, which is where it really matter for the full index uh, estimates. If we finish this year at 4,800, 
that would be a major, major victory for the Bulls. And how you get to a 20 times multiple, I think the only thing that you would be able to do to get there would be to say that at some point this summer, we have seen the peak in interest rate hikes. Because like, if, you're, if you're not prepared to say that, that the Fed does 50 or 75 this month, another 50 in August, and then signals, hey, we think we, we, think we have it, right? The, the data is starting to go our way. It's possible. I want to be open-minded. But, like, that's the only way that I could come up with a rationale to say uh, terminal rates are low enough that we could project out and say 20 multiple is reasonable. It's hard for me to get there 21. mentally, though. So I'm, I'm not. I mean, he's on the doorstep of really, 21. I, I don't even understand, frankly, how you can still be what he says today is Josh's earnings expectation projection is a better word for it is unchanged at two hundred and thirty dollars. I'll spot I'm, him. On, I'll spot him on. Listen, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I, I think the second half earnings are not going to be great. I don't think they need to fall off a cliff. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to see. Uh, the trajectory in earnings start to reflect what stocks have already done. So it is possible that we've done a lot of the work on the valuation side in advance of what the drop in earnings will be. Um, But you have to hear it from companies, and you're not. So we'll see what happens. It starts next week. We'll we'll, we'll see if and when that's going to be the case. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Judge, it really has not happened yet uh, on the guidance side. And so I think the, 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 on the sell side, the estimates right now are reflecting that. W- will, the, will the rubber meet the road in these Q2 reports slash Q3 guidance? We're about to find out. You ain't going to have to wait long. No. And Doc, okay, Josh is right, right? And we all, we've all seen it. Valuations have come, come way down, come way in. Earnings have not. Kind of goes to what Joe Terranova told all of you yesterday, which I was, I was watching, uh, that he bought NVIDIA back. And that got me thinking, like, okay, well, valuations have come down a lot. Is it time to go back to names yeah. like that and others? Maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that specifically. But the point being that there were a lot of high multiple stocks that have gone up an awful lot that have been cut in half, if not worse. And now maybe the, t- maybe the time is, is right to start looking at names like Joe looked at NVIDIA and suggested it was time to buy it again. Yeah, well... I guess you could do that, Scott. Um, I'm waiting for some big institutional buying. Um, I didn't want to put out the bunting, as they say, on this, what? uh, Yesterday, it was a 1.5% rally uh, over the last three days. Today, if we were to finish around here, it's a little over 2% rally. Like I say, that's not something that you get a crowd lined up for and cheering. Um, It's more or less hopium that's out there, people are hoping, and hope isn't really a strategy. What I heard yesterday, um, and what I read rather in those uh, minutes, um, was not nearly as bullish as some people apparently are taking it. Um, I think the Fed is still damned and determined to keep hitting us with higher rates. So to Josh's point, um, I I think unless that breaks, unless that fever breaks um, very quickly here, we're gonna see higher rates, which is gonna continue to drive Uh, the market lower. It's not going to be moving up higher in the face of that, in my opinion, Scott, because like I say, what I read yesterday and what Jay Powell said yesterday didn't imply, uh, except for that one little thing that our friend Steve Leisman's hanging his hat on, I didn't see anything bullish 
about what you and I not, were listening no, to no, and no, watching but, and reading but, but yesterday. Not, but not bullish, but it was like, tell us something we don't know. Like, we get it, right? We, we know what yeah. you're going to do, right? It's, it, maybe, so it's not like they said anything bullish. It's just the market has maybe finally come to grips with what, what's not only happening now, but what's coming down the road, no? Doc? Well, Doc looks like he's frozen. He, he couldn't believe what I said either. Steve Weiss, I'm told you want to get in. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it has started. Helen of Troy and Josh is right. It's not, it's not the big companies, the important companies in, that, in, in the 100 haven't reported. But Helen of Troy put up a really good quarter. But in their guidance, they cut their guidance from a midpoint, say, of $13 to $10. Helen of Troy, for those who don't know, are consumer products. They typically buy mature lines from companies like Procter & Gamble, etc., and then put new marketing dollars behind them. And the companies performed well. Uh, over the last number of years, I used to own it a while ago, but from 13 to 10, that's a 30% cut. I had dinner uh, last week with uh, Lee Koopman, and unfortunately you weren't there to pick up the check. Not that you necessarily would have been invited, Scott, but his number for next I'm year, sure you made I Lee believe, is 195. <laughs> uh, actually, we had, uh, had a broker pick it up, but that's <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I get carry elevator. On. I get alligator arms when it comes to dinner yeah, checks. I've seen uh, you But carry Lee's on. number, I believe, next yes, yes next year is one ninety five. <laughs> so he thinks we come into recession the end of this year, next year. I agree with it. I do think it's important. So right now is is just a pause, and it's a pause in front of the all important earnings. Analysts are traditionally slow to bring down estimates. I think that'll be the case. If you look at the autos, now you're starting to see incentives, yet they still say we don't have enough product. Well, to me, that's just going to be the perfect storm. So I I just can't get there. The 15.9 times is on this current day's estimates, not on the future. I will tell you that 15.9 is probably going to look like 18 as we go forward through earnings season. Well, what happens, Weiss, if the Fed at the end of the day, doesn't necessarily have to be as aggressive months from now as the market was initially expecting it would have to be. Well, I think you'll make that determination uh, months from now, and you'd have to see a major, major pullback in inflation. Uh, look, the Fed's not going to make the same mistake twice. They're not going to think that that uh, the, they're not going to come out and say that, hey, okay, we've won. You've seen a couple of ticks down in CPI or PPI or whatever they were, the PCE. Hey, energy, you know, I, get, I got you, they're but energy, energy's now down more from its 52-week high than technology. That's an amazing stat in and of itself. That's thanks true. Thanks to hey, ju- hey, Judge. For, for, for that, Josh. But, but it's still, it, it, I, it's still I, I elevated. Say, I, I, I want to say that. Temporary. Uh, I wanted to say that I think this rally is about the idea that we we probably are through peak inflation and now the data is going to start to reflect that more meaningfully because if you look at this particular rally that we're going through right now uh growth is outperforming value substantially the iwo is up two and a half percent during the course of this rally the iwn is up one and a half percent so the growth factor is outperforming in small caps in mid caps and in large caps, uh, th- uh, plus 3% versus plus 0.3% uh, on the value side. That's a meaningful divergence. Now, I know we're not talking about six months worth of data, but I just wanted to make that point that that is coinciding 
with um, inflation break-evens collapsing. Look at uh, five-year tips versus uh, five-year Treasury yield. That is falling very fast, which tells you where the market's inflation expectations are going. And uh, the 10-year peaking, the five-year peaking, um, and, and that is what we would want the rally to be based on. Like, if it has to be based on something, I would rather it be that than one of the Fed heads coming out and giving an inspiring um, Braveheart speech, right? So just pay, you know, pay attention to not just whether or not the market's rallying, but why it's rallying and what is leading the rally. And, you know, hopefully that, that, that can sustain. I don't know that it will, but that seems to be what's happening so far. I want to know, Jenny, how earnings can stay at 230 or 225 or 220 when the biggest part of the market, tech, gets such a huge part of its earnings from overseas, when the dollar is as strong as it is, Microsoft already told you what's coming, and the market yawns. How is that possible? To be honest, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it is possible. I also think, you know, we're just going to need to see what numbers come out at, but I think it may not be that much lower than 230, right? It could be. And, and I think someone said before, earnings haven't moved, but they actually have. Just a few weeks ago when I was on, Scott, we were talking about earnings estimates at 259. They've come down to 230. I don't know what they could come down to from there, but let's call it 220. That's not a significant move. And this is where Josh said, and he's right, stocks have already done a lot of the work. Actually, the estimates have come down. I think we're at a point where the rest of the year, 2023, sorry, 2022's earnings aren't going to matter that much. We're in July. We look out six to 12 months. What's going to really matter is 2023 earnings. And then that's where I'm starting to get worried because 2023 estimates right now are still at 250. I'm more worried about those estimates coming down and how they sustain than I am about the balance of the year. I hear you, but there are those who say, you know, look, the S&P, I'm looking here, 38.90, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Valuations have come in, as as we've suggested. You just underscored that. Earnings have not for, for the large part. For the large part, right? If you... Look, I'm having a conversation yesterday over a coffee with a well-known hedge fund manager. I don't even believe 220 is, is the right number. So if you think you're going below 220 on earnings and you think the multiple that Stoltzfus has, 20.9, almost 21, is um, just ridiculously oh. too high, that's how you get to the lower price targets that some on Wall Street continue to say the stock market continue to, could, could actually trade down to. Here's an interesting idea that's just popping into my head. But I was looking at the top 10 stocks in the, in the S&P a couple days ago. They are very different than the top 10 stocks when we went into the year. So what's in the top 10 now are things like United Health, Johnson & Johnson versus Netflix. So maybe actually the way that 230 or closer to 230 can sustain is that there has been a significant leadership shift in who's making up the most of the market now compared to the earlier in the year. So I don't think Johnson & Johnson is going to have a problem. Netflix had a problem. It's already had a problem. That's already incorporated in the But there's a difference in market cap. There's a difference, though, in um, market cap weighting versus Josh. earnings per share weighting. Obviously. Right? But so if you went back and looked at Netflix, bit more nuanced. Netflix had much lower earnings going into their market cap weighting share of the S&P 500's earnings on January 1 going into this year than Johnson & Johnson does now. Now, I've That's argued true. about this for a long time. We all hate Intel. You know, I don't necessarily want to talk about Intel, but Intel's like the Well, now eight, I'm definitely going to ask I know, you because we're talking but, about okay. the chips coming up. But Intel's like Mark the eighth, that down, folks. Jenny okay. Harrington on Intel coming up, please. So, so Intel's like the eighth largest earnings contributor to the S&P 500 earnings. We forget about that. And so maybe those earnings estimates are already so beaten down already so terrible, and they have been all year, that as we think about S&P 500 earnings and what the real earnings components of the S&P 500 are. No, but are, I'm going to like 
John, I'm, I'm talking about like the Microsofts of the world, right? But that's already adjusted. How do you know it's adjusted enough? Because they pre-announced a couple weeks ago. So when it came down from 259 to 230, some part of that decrease in analyst expectations was knowing what Microsoft told us. So the price target gets cut today to 345 from 365 at Bank of America. Pretty late. Irrespective, I know, but irrespective of what the company told us, that's a forecast. Mm -hmm. Who knows if they're going to be right? But that's a forecast on share price. Yeah, but the company is talking yeah, about yeah, Scott, its to earnings me, is, revision because of FX, okay. the, right? If technology gets right. such a large percentage of its earnings from overseas, including Europe, and the dollar is as strong as it is and may persist to be as the euro threatens to, to go to par, that's not a major issue? It is. I'm Wall just Street saying Microsoft but, but Wall, Wall Street's not going to... Let Jenny finish real quick, Josh. I'll I'm come back sorry. to you in a sec. Microsoft told yeah. us that, what was it, three or four weeks ago. Some degree of that $230 earnings estimate has incorporated that. The... the the price target revision is so late. You know, it should have been before Microsoft revised earnings down. It should have been six weeks ago or 10 weeks ago. It shouldn't be today. So to me, that's not terribly meaningful. That doesn't, that doesn't make me worry about what earnings expectations might be. Josh, go ahead. Just, I, I, I'd love to hear Jenny's response to this. Um, experience tells me that Wall Street doesn't really care that much about FX being the reason for a company having a shortfall or maybe not giving us great guidance. Like of all the reasons for a company supposed to report $5.80 a share, they come in at $5.77, and the, answer, and the reason why is FX. Wall Street doesn't beat that stock up 20% the next day, um, historically. Jenny, I think you agree with that, right? 100%. And they think it because they're like, oh, well, FX always reverses one day. So fine, you lose a little here, you're going to get a little in the future. No, right. but you, you don't think, That's Josh, right. that just given, you, the, given the environment that, that we're in, um, it's not going to be so easily explained away, right? I mean, the the bar is is kind of well. High, I think that yeah, I think that will. It's been. I think that will. I think there are going to be companies that come out and guidance isn't great, and the reason guidance isn't great is because there's more demand than they can fill. I don't think they're going to whack those. St- like Tesla is a really good example. They just can't. They just can't build enough, right? Like that's a really great example. Um, where I don't think in that situation, and we will see many companies in many industries tell us we, we, we would have done more or guidance would be better if not for blah, 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 supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I don't think that you'll have the same reaction, negative reaction to that as you ha- have had. I know we keep using Netflix as an example. Netflix doesn't have supply chain problems. No matter what they say, that's not the issue. The issue is uh, consumer demand for paying $17 a month has fallen off a cliff relative to all the competition they have. That's an example of a stock that will get killed. So when you go into this earnings season and you're listening for guidance, a shortfall of five cents a share in earnings is not the same as a shortfall of five cents a share in earnings. Tell me the reason why. If the reason why is the US dollar versus the euro, Wall Street will yawn. If the reason why is consumer demand has disappeared, you got real problems. Those stocks are going to get hammered. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's squeeze in a break. We do have a pop for semiconductor stocks today on the back of Samsung's positive forecast. We'll debate if you should be buying any of those stocks here, including Jenny's Intel, which she said she didn't want to talk about, but she's going to anyway. Why? Because Goldman has a tactical trade idea centering on that name. And I don't know if Jenny's going to like it, but we will find out when we're back in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. The semis are rallying today after Samsung forecasts an 11.4% rise in Q2 profits. There's a look at the SMH up uh, better than four and a third percent today. I'll get you in a second. All right. On Intel, you let this marinate for a little bit. <laughs> John Ajarian, you're back with us after having some feed issues. You own NVIDIA stock and calls. You own Micron as well. How about this? Well, I like it, Scott, um, uh, although uh, this is a sector that I thought would have had more legs earlier. Um, but especially on this drawdown, I mean, what, NVIDIA's $200 still off of that 346 high that it hit, Scott, um, after today's rally back up to 156. Micron um, also uh, had some, I thought, very positive things that have caused us to focus on this one again. So I'm comfortable with those two. I know Jenny and my brother Pete are braver than I am with Intel, but I, because I haven't gone there yet, Jenny. Uh, but I think uh, given what you said about the 8% contribution to the S&P earnings, I certainly hope that you're right, uh, not just for you, but because it's going to be good for the index overall. Weiss, uh, Morgan Stanley today is cautious. They say their rough waters are ahead for the semis. Inventories are up everywhere, they suggest. Hmm. And I believe them. And I think it's a comment that's been made in the show. I know I've made it, which is that companies stockpiled semis. Everybody thought they'd never get them again, so they bought as many as they could from as many places, as many companies as they could. So now they have that excess inventory. So that's kind of worked through the system. Of course, no company's going to admit that they have excess inventory because they still want to take some more in for the right chips. So, look, I think it's a moment in time, but, but frankly, Scott, the focus on Netflix today, the focus on semis, it doesn't matter. All that matters is simple math, and the Fed is on a massive tightening. So what got, what got uh, you know, NVIDIA to 200 points higher was only liquidity in the market, driving, driving momentum. I would tell you that 40 times earnings is still ridiculously expensive for NVIDIA. Semi shouldn't sell those multiples for any extended period of time. So I would not be a buyer of NVIDIA, push come to shove. I'd probably be a seller if I owned it. I wouldn't short it but because he's too promotional, the CEO. But I just think it's too early. And sure, the semis are much broader now. They're no longer commodities, most of them. Micron still is more commodity than not. But with the economy weakening, 
the need for chips combined with the excess inventory is going to keep pressure on prices. You no longer own any chip names? No longer own any chip names. Yeah. Haven't for a long time. Sky, Skyworks and Corvo, I think, being maybe the last two that you did uh, before you capitulated on those. At about the 140 level going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Josh. Yep. NVIDIA, H- I think, H- I mean, it's yeah, been... Yeah, I want to... Go ahead. I want to pull up a chart of that. I want to pull up a chart of SMH. This is the Van the Vanek uh, Semiconductor Index ETF. Um, this is one of those. This is uh, this is one of those times where all of the companies in this index are moving in lockstep. There's almost no dispersion. I don't care which component you want to point to because I think what Steve said about the macro and the double ordering of chips in 2021 is absolutely spot on and. The, the, uh, the industry has to work through that, but they have to work through that at a time where, other than China, the rest of the world is raising rates and deliberately attempting to slow their, their economies to, to calm demand down, to bring down prices. So, like, that's, that's the environment. Where, so people are like, oh, is, is NVIDIA a good company? Is Qualcomm a good company? None of that matters, right? It's not whether or not these are, these are the best companies in the world, all of them. Name one, Lamb Research, like whichever name you want to name, they're all great companies. That's not the issue. Look at this chart. This is as defined of a downtrend as you could possibly find. Literally, since January 1st, this pattern of lower highs leading to lower lows, and then they have a rally, but it lowers to uh, it rallies to a, a lower high and then even more lower lows. Why would you want to fight against that when you don't have to? Nobody is forcing you to do that. Um, so what you're seeing is distribution. Let's talk about RSI very quickly. The RSI on the SMH index ETF that we talked about is 35. It's not oversold enough to say this is going to be the big bounce. It's in no man's land. Uh, relative strength, th- this is a calculation that's looking at the last 14 days. It's taking an average of the up closes and the down closes, and not just how many up or down, but the magnitude of each, and then smoothing that out on, 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 a, on a scale of 100. 35 is awful. That's momentum indicator confirming the low prices, right? So you want to see a momentum divergence. If, if you want to get have a reason to get bullish on something in a downtrend, I want to see this thing stop making lows on RSI even as price gets lower, tells me things are getting less bad, Mm. or I want to see a really extreme washout, um, but 35 ain't going to cut it. Give me 25, and I'll tell you, all right, play this thing for a 10 or 15% bounce. It's just not where we are right now technically, so why fight it? Okay. Uh, So, Jenny, there's Applied Materials, which you own, and there's Teradyne as well, and then there is Intel, which Goldman today says for a tactical trade by puts ahead of the earnings at the end of this month. I feel like that's getting bearish at the wrong time. And that's what everyone seems to be doing right now is, oh, gee, suddenly the strategists are lowering their, lowering their expectations. Analysts are getting bearish. Here's the thing. Intel's already down 36% year to date, which I might say is 20% better than NVIDIA. It's trading at 10 and a half times. To me, it's way too risky to put a short position on something that's already down that much. I think the bad news is baked into Intel. It seems like, and this is why I own it, it's just cheap, right? It's just producing cash. One thing, um, John, you said, I said it was 8% of S&P 500 earnings. No, I think it's the eighth largest contributor. I'm worried my data might be about a ah, year and change old. You. No problem. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double check that. I'll put up what number it is right now on Twitter when the show's over. Um, 
But so I look at that, and I look at I look at Josh's comments and and um, other co Steve's comments where they say, look, the you know the Fed's tightening at the bear market. You can't buy anything. You can buy things. And I think one of the reasons why we own AMAT and Teradyne is because that way we don't need to say we want to invest in Nvidia, we want to invest in AMD, we want to invest in Intel. You buy Teradyne, where it's testing equipment for semis, AMAT, where it's manufacturing equipment, you have exposure to all of it. These are great companies. What we've learned in the last several years- It's the same chart. It doesn't matter. They're great companies, and this is where you parse Oh, it doesn't? Out. No, it doesn't. It was a great company. AMAT was a great company at 150, it's 90. Josh. We know okay. it's a great company. Oh my gosh. This is where you need to parse out and say, all right, all the babies have been thrown out with the bathwater. Which ones have prospects that are valuable from this point today? Which ones are trading at the correct valuations today based on where their share prices are? You've got AMAT that's at 11 times earnings with double-digit growth ahead. You've got Teradyne at 18 times earnings with double-digit growth ahead. Did those get thrown out broadly? And is there value creation in them now? Are they those not Those are fair valuations. They are fair valuations. Those are that's fair valuations, Jenny. Now. Okay. That's why, Steve, when you said you didn't want to buy NVIDIA, I don't want to buy NVIDIA either. I want to buy something with a fair valuation because when you have a fair valuation and you could have made that, growth, uh, Jenny, you could have made you could have made that argument on any of the chip stocks at any point over the last decline. I mean, you could have made it and I did make it at one point before exiting Skyworks at about 140 and Corvo and look at them now. Now they're selling at less than 10 times earnings. But the growth will not be 20 percent. That's need to be the 20%. whole point. You're picking, a, you're picking a moment in time. But markets trade on direction. Hold if on. the direction of earnings is down, the stocks aren't going to recover. Hold on. All you guys were buying all these frothy semi-stocks like at the beginning of the year. You were all no, psyched about them. Yes, you were. Everybody was psyched about true, the That's not true, Jenny. Mm. Jenny, Jenny, that's not true. Okay. What frothy stock guys? did I buy in semis? Steve, seriously, we had arguments on Corvo. Okay, we've had arguments on Nvidia. Everybody loved semis. Corvo was 12 times earnings. Ago. How's that? So now, frothy? when they're down 45%, you don't want to buy them. Guys, this is when you do buy things. This is when you get bullish when things are down 45 and 50%. Not at the beginning of the year when they were trading that, that, 80 that's times. That's exactly. That's exactly right for. That's exactly right for somebody who's got to be always invested all the time. I don't have to be. So I don't have to make up excuses to put positions on and say it's great. You know, it's not. The earnings going down, the stock price is going to go down. Be nice. She didn't, she's End not making story. up excuses. Be nice. <laughs> that I am not. She's not making up excuses. No, I'm, I'm, I'm turning, I'm, you know, I'm returning fire. Okay. okay. We'll take a quick break. Take a quick break. We'll come back. Financials among the best performers today. A number of big banks are getting their price targets cut ahead of earnings next week. We'll debate them in our call of the day. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Bertha Coombs with your CNBC News update at this hour. Derek Chauvin will be sentenced in a federal court today for violating George Floyd's civil rights. As part of a December guilty plea, the former Minneapolis police officer faces a sentence of between 20 and 25 years. Chauvin is already serving a 22-and-a-half-year prison sentence handed down from a state court for the murder of Floyd in May of 2020. The inflationary spike in food, fuel and fertilizer prices sparked by the war in Ukraine is threatening to push countries around the world into famine. The United Nations World Food Program says its latest analysis shows that a record 345 million people are approaching starvation, a 25 percent increase since the start of 2022. And at least one person was killed and six others wounded in a Russian missile strike in the heart of the eastern Ukrainian city of Kramatorsk. The missile damaged six buildings, including a hotel and an apartment block. Ukrainian officials have said they expect Kramatorsk to become the next focus of Russia's offensive. Halftime report returns right after this. Welcome back to Collapse of Crypto Broker Voyager Digital, hitting close to home for a couple of our committee members today. John and Pete were investors in Voyager, as was their firm, Market Rebellion. Market Rebellion was also paid fees by Voyager for customer referrals. Doc, we need to discuss this. You were part of a private placement with a number of other people. Um, Explain the relationship for me, if you could. The CEO, Steve Ehrlich, called you, quote, a partner of ours in a YouTube video I saw with you two. Um, well, uh, I love Steve Ehrlich, but uh, he is wrong there as far as a partner partner. I'm a shareholder just like Mark Cuban or Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm not in their class. I'm not trying to make myself that, but I'm just a shareholder. Uh, I did make initial funding of uh, Voyager, as did my brother Pete and Market Rebellion, Scott, um, but I'm not an insider. Uh, I have never been an insider there. Um, I liked the company. I did trade through that company up until basically the last two weeks I was able to trade through them. But uh, I now trade through a a series of other crypto brokers. Um, When you were gone, Scott, I was buying on that dip uh, last week to about 18.8. I was buying Bitcoin and Ethereum down there because uh, of the activity, Uh, something that Sam Bankman-Fried actually said, you know, he thought maybe the worst was nearly over for the sector. So that's what I've done as far as that uh, and Voyager. Well, let me ask you this, though. I said in the intro here Mm -hmm. that Market Rebellion was paid fees by Voyager for referrals. You were, right? Um, I can't comment on that right now. Um, Unfortunately, that's one of the areas I can't go into with you right now, Scott. 
So you can't comment at all on any relationship that Market Rebellion had with Voyager, which was described again by the CEO no. as a partner, as, as you guys being a partner. Right. Uh, no, I can't. And like I say, uh, love Steve, but uh, no, I've never been a partner at that firm. Um, I have just been an investor and in shares that are freely traded, no, I not in um, I think the implication. I, think, I, I understand that. I think the implication on his part was that Market Rebellion, you representing Market Rebellion, that your firm was a mm -hmm. had some sort of business relationship uh, with Voyager. I think that was the implication that he was making in that video. Yeah, uh, and I would read it the same way as you. But again, I can't comment on it, Scott. Can you can you comment at all on on the your holdings at the, at this point? If you know they sure. Can yeah, you just give me I, the, de the details I on that? I still own. Sure, I still own a fairly substantial piece of this company, and uh, just like uh, many other investors, I'm uh, a, a lot poorer this week than I was uh, a month or two months ago in terms of the holdings in this company. Um, but again, they're free trading shares, um, and I still own a very substantial piece of that equity. The other interesting thing you, you said a few moments ago is most recently when Bitcoin was down, I forgot what you said you bought it at. Um, you have been buying on this dip. Yeah. Yes, sir. Can yes, you, I have. Can, can you give me some and more specifics? Again, on that? Uh, Sure. Um, I have not been buying so much equities, Scott, but I think Sam Bankman-Fried, again, over at FTX, probably the biggest guy in crypto, um, as well as Mr. Zhao over at Binance, they've both been talking about and or making you know, moves with money, not just with their lips, um, and uh, basically accumulating shares in companies for pennies on the dollar. Um, I am not in the same position as those guys. But I thought that Bitcoin at that 18.8 level and uh, basically Ethereum at 1,000, I thought those were pretty much babies being thrown out with the bathwater. Those are the only two that I'm really trading and accumulating at those levels, Scott. I haven't been doing any of the other altcoins as they're usually referred to. Understood. All right, John, I appreciate you with the update there. We're back in two minutes. All right, we're back. Atlantic Equities lowering its bank estimates and targets. That's just ahead of earnings. Weiss, I go to you first. Bank of America, Goldman, short the XLF. Uh, I know you're negative on the banks, as I heard you reiterate with Faber yesterday on this program. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, I've always said this. The banks to me, uh, particularly B of A and, and Goldman and J.P. Morgan, I mean, they're battle tests. They've been through the worst of economic environments uh, and interest rate environments. And uh, I just think this is going to be a tough time. You, look, there have been no capital markets transactions in the public market to speak of. And that's high margin business. You've also got lower volumes, lower volumes today, as a matter of fact, down, I think, about 6% from yesterday. So that's how they make money. So they'll come through it, but it's going to be another, another couple of quarters before you see equity issuance. We're spending a lot of time in private markets, and there are some deals there, but that's also slowed down that flow because people are still hanging on to 2021 valuations and unwilling to sell shares in their company at 2022 prices. So I think it could be a little rocky going forward, as well as the yield curve just haven't, hasn't given them the sustained opportunity to make money on I hear that. You. So, it's kind of so that's why I've hedged the position. I was going to say, it's, I mean, 
I know it's it's um, it's pure hedging the position. It's just kind of weird to be long a couple of stocks right. while you're short the XLF. Right. That, that can't feel very uh, well. I don't want to know. pay taxes. Yeah, that's what I figured uh, it was. I, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, seriously, <laughs> I really did. Tax, I literally did. Play. I figured it was like something <laughs> like that. Like you, I was going to ask you why you didn't sell them. Yeah. And then I, was, I knew you were going to say, well, I don't want to pay taxes on them. So you're expressing right. your negativity exactly. through a hedge through the XLF. Right. The other way not to pay taxes on something that's going to bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. Was that was, was that directed at somebody specifically? That was for John laughing. That, that was to get John to stop laughing. All right. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll go to Josh on that. Who owns J.P. Morgan? Yeah, something really interesting happened two weeks ago where uh, all of the banks announced, this has almost become routine at this point, uh, their annual quarterly dividend increase. Bank of America raised theirs by a very modest 5%. Morgan Stanley said they were raising by 11%. Wells Fargo raised by 20%. And Goldman raised by 25%, which I thought was was uh, was pretty ambitious. J.P. Morgan said they're not raising at all. And they cited ongoing stringent capital requirements, um, which is part of the reason why these stocks have held up so well. Uh, relative to other places in the market, and I think we'll continue to. The way to think about banks in the modern era is basically their utilities. They have some wherewithal to raise their payouts to shareholders, whether it's dividends or uh, through buybacks, probably more uh, licensed to do so versus regulated utilities, but not much more. And that's actually been a good thing for the banking system. So if you think about all the stuff that we've been worried about uh, this year, the banks have not been on that list. I think they're fine. I think you can own them. I think they should hold up. Will they make a ton of money this year? Probably not because the steepening yield curve was disrupted by the inflation story, but I still think they're okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm long JPM. I think they'll be fine. All right. Take a quick break. We'll come back. John has unusual activity next. All right, Dr. J, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? All right, this one will bring a smile back to Josh's face, too, because somebody's been playing ChargePoint like a Stradivarius, Scott. Uh, they bought it on the way up, then they bought puts, and they traded it on the way down. They're back, and I talked about it Tuesday when you were out, Scott, but uh, they're buying again in ChargePoint. They bought it the 17, 18, 19, 20, now the 2050 strike. Second one, um, Lucid, LCID, also talked about this one recently, uh, in fact, just Tuesday, and it's getting a lot of activity in those 20 calls of Lucid, um, so I bought those as well. Lastly, APA, Apache, uh, 3,000 of the August 40 calls, and just to correct quickly, I said ChargePoint, I meant the 15 calls in ChargePoint the 17s through 20s, those were in Lucid, Scott. I got you. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Quick break. Final trades are next. We'll see you a few hours from now in overtime, and I can't wait for that. Joe Terranova's with me. You heard about his big buyback of NVIDIA yesterday on this program. We'll get into more of the conversation about the markets with him. Shannon Sakosha will be with me. Craig Johnston of Cantor. He's made some big calls of late. We'll go through those, too. I'll see you all in a few hours. Let's do final trades. Jenny, you're first. Great. My most recent buy, Lamar Advertising. This is a baby that was thrown out with the advertising stock, Bathwater, 5.3% yield. Great earnings growth ahead. All right. Thank you, Steve Weiss. 
Yeah, this one will surprise you, Scott. I added to Moderna. They announced something with the UK, and that follows up in their announcements with Canada and with Australia, which essentially putting up rapid response pandemic uh, facilities there that are also dedicated to buying respiratory vaccines. So stock's still only six times earnings. Momentum's returned somewhat. I think the stock continues to trade higher, and you will get good news some trials in the fourth quarter. All right, thank you. Dr. J. Um, Crocs, Scott, uh, just a couple days ago, yeah. Loop Capital gave it a big thumbs up. Okay. It's up 10 bucks. Bang. Ne- need I a real quick name, Josh. IEO. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Welcome everybody. Back. See you and thank you. And I'll see you in the OT, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.